the 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 mo with this team with Davy Johnson was that they and with you know what was his uh his mentor I forgot the guy's name damn it yeah he can't remember either yeah well anyway his uh uh his mo was the three run bomb it, did you just fail to come up with Earl Weaver's name yes I did that's the one sorry oh. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is July 7th, 2014. This is episode 85 for those that are listening to us, you should be following us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find that at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also be following us on our website at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You should also be checking us out on Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and uh, I guess iTunes. And uh, I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm joined by my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. Offsite, actually. Yes, in a, in a remote location. Yes, I'm actually the one that is on the remote location. So, um, Jake, thanks for uh, going out of your way to um, hold down the home hometown, and uh, we appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for going out of your way to go to the beach, you jerk. Yeah. Um, I don't actually have a segue for that, but you should also be checking us out on social media at Facebook, Twitter, Google+, um, and just follow us as much as possible. Um, you can also check us out on post-game shows on BSR, channel BSR. Check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com slash live after Tuesdays and Thursday shows. Generally, me or Jake will pop in there at least once a week just to grace you with our wonderful presence. And if you get a chance, go to our website, go to the bottom, click on the Amazon banner, and give us our measly 2 to 4% of any of your purchases so that Amazon can shower us with pennies. So, Jake, with that, drink of the week. What are you drinking tonight? My drink of the week is a rum and coke. Mm. And you, sir? Um, I actually have a keg of Coors Light that I've been going off of the entire week. So it's about three days old, but there's still good um, at least quarter keg left. So I'm going to keep drinking that for the rest of this week. Can, can we just stop there? If I were to tell you that I were drinking Coors Light, what would you be saying right now? Uh, I would say, shame on you, sir. Shame on you. But I would also point out that this is free. So is there an issue with no, no, free no, beer? No, no, no. no. There, there's nothing with with price that has anything to do with shame. If you're going to be shamed, Scott, you're going to be shamed. Okay, that's fair, but it, it is from a keg and it is free, so I'm going to go with it. Before we go any further, can I uh, can I go into one more uh, bit of announcement, and that is the 2014 Bevy Awards that is upcoming? Oh, yeah. that's Yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's articles out there right now on Utah Street Report. There's articles on our website. You should go out there and should uh, follow... Um, Everybody on Twitter at Utah Street Report and us, and uh, you can come across um, the myriad of categories that are going to be on the bevies. Uh, it'll be an interesting, uh, interesting show, just like it was last year. Now, if you missed last year, the, the bevies is basically a you mean a the two you mean the two and a half hour show and, that we maybe. Well, I'm getting there. It's a, it's a mid season award, and you may be saying to yourself, well, "Why the mid season isn't an award most you know best given at the end of the year?" And we say no. That's when everybody else would do it, and we don't have the the level of professionalism that's required for that. So it's a midseason award. We we go over the first half of the Orioles season and what we can look forward to uh, for the second half. It's uh it's us, it's some of our friends and colleagues in the in the Birdo sphere, if you will, uh, presenting some some awards and and uh, having a good time. Now, Scott, we may have run a smidgen long a smidgen. last year, but I have. I have every confidence in you that you can give me the hook that will keep us running right along this year. And with that, we're going to go right to the twat. <laughs> All right. The first thing we have in the twat is, um, well, this is a great tweet. Uh, the tweet is from at Rays Joe Madden, which is, of course, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. His, his uh, tweet was as follows. Going with the Tommy two-tone lineup today, Eight six seven five three zero nine, which of course refers to the position players that he had going on. Zero, of course, being the DH. Uh, Joe Madden's famous for for uh, basically not going with the same lineup most games of the year. 
but this just takes the cake for being arbitrary for arbitrary's sake. Yeah, um, actually, I did some research into this, and I found out um, how Joe Madden actually came across this. I was figuring how to do something with like a statement retrition in terms of like uh, a Tango lineup optimization or something like that. No, actually, he found this number on the wall. Yeah, he came out shouting, "I got it! I got it!" Yeah, he, he got that number on the wall. Um, okay, with that, I think it's time to move on. <laughs> Um, Jake, there was also a post on uh, Baseball Tonight on at BBTN, and they had a list of the top five baseball movie speeches, uh, including one from Tom Hanks, um, which, of course, is from a league of their own. And that's there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. But I, now you have a problem with this tweet, and I, and I want you to be able to air your grievances. So go for it. Sure. I've got a problem with this tweet. Um, the number one is from Gary Cooper from prior of the Yankees where it's, you know, I consider myself the luckiest man. It's good Garrick up there, which I understand that's the sentimental pick to pick this week. Also from it being the 75th anniversary of Lou Gehrig, you know, making that speech. But the number four one on this list with, um, James Earl Jones, you know, in field of dreams, talking about baseball and, you know, talking about how America has changed and everything like that, but baseball has remained constant. It just pulls on my heartstrings every single time I see it. So, that has to be at least number two, and they basically went with Bull Durham in two instances in this this speech in the top five movie speeches, and it's just absolutely horrible. They are not speeches; they are just monologues. So, James Earl Jones needs to be at number one, pronto. There's no question in my mind; he's the number one right, movie I, speech. I, I cannot argue against James Earl Jones, uh, but the one thing that I will say about this list that frustrated me is that I get the no crying baseball is iconic and funny and all that kind of good stuff. But I think the real baseball speech of that film uh, comes when Dottie is trying to leave and Tom Hanks character is telling her it's supposed to be hard. It's the hard that makes it great. If it wasn't hard, anybody could do it. That's the that's the seminal speech of that film, by the way, which is one of my favorite baseball films. Yes, even though it's about girls baseball, that's the, the thing that should have been on the list. And I'm a little bitter. Yeah, I, that's a that's a good speech. It's just not an iconic part of baseball culture so that's a great monologue by tom hanks it's just not a you know a memorable movie speech in my opinion all right let, let's move on uh the next tweet in, in the twat is from jason collette uh, at jason collette and the tweet is as follows the hashtag orioles are in first place chris davis is hitting 201 319 386 and he's the only starting infielder with an ops of over 700 at can't predict ball. That's kind of an interesting set of stats. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I don't know really to say about that besides sometimes statistics are really very screwy. Um, but we'll get to Chris Davis at a later point. In fact, we might probably not even cover him too much tonight. We might have to say that for another episode. Um, but I think the biggest thing of it is the Orioles are in first place. And I don't think we should take that for granted at this time. The Orioles are in first place. That's what I like, Scott. Yeah. I, I just want to. I just want to bask in that. Okay. The warm glow of first place. All right. Next tweet. So long, farewell. Ryan Wagner post. You guys, it's a Mattis versus Ortiz at bat. This is one of my favorite moments in baseball. Can't wait to update the numbers in a minute. And then uh, it was actually followed by um, an individual called Jason. His name you fucking follow him at JP seventy nine ERT, and it says when Poppy does his farewell tour like Jeter this year, we should give him a Mattish jersey, which is pretty much a great idea. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great tweet, except for the fact that he used the word Poppy. And um, I'm not a, a struggling college girl trying to pay my way through law school, so I don't use the, the name Poppy. Um, his name is David Ortiz, and he's not a freaking character. His name is David, David Ortiz. Um, no, he, he's a character. His just name is Sloppy, not Poppy. No, his name is David Ortiz. No, his name is Sloppy. Let's not, make him greater, let's not make him greater than he is in his own mind. His name is David Ortiz. Um, next tweet is from Brittany Giroli, who tweeted out, O's DFA Ramirez to clear a spot for Gosman. If he clears waivers, he can be outrighted. Ramon Ramirez, we hardly knew you. We talked about this on the podcast. If it wasn't last week, it was the week before, um, about Ramon Ramirez and his, uh, his role in the club, and it was just that. It, by the way, it was last week, so he was on the club for less than a week. Yikes. Okay. What do you have for us next? I've got another era came to an end, and that is Nolan Rymel left this team at Don Connolly, posted at Don Connolly's son. So Blue Jays claim Pierce, and he chose not to go, stays with O's. Two months later, Jamie's claim Rymel has no choice. 
good luck to the guy. I guess, you know, that's the situation. You got Incarnacion that basically went on the DL um, with a hamstring issue. Um, and now Brian Mould is going to go out there and play for the Jays. I guess at least Canada has universal health care. Yeah, I mean, that's important. Uh, look, you, you know, I, I rooted for Nolan Reimold. The injuries weren't his fault. It was frustrating that he couldn't get healthy and contribute the way he wanted to and the way the team needed. Um, you know, I wish him the best. I hope that he has a sparkling season as the Blue Jays' ship sinks. Finally, finalizing up the uh, week on the twat, there was a great use by the Tampa Bay Rays of a Fox News presentation at its best. So what it did was it looked at the AL East through June 10th and then just looked at games played after June 11th and how the AL East did. And um, at the beginning of June 10th, Toronto was five and a half games above everybody and Tampa Bay was 15 games out. And then in the June 11th post, they only showed 25 games, but Tampa Bay has the best record in that 25 game period and Tampa Bay is in first place. Yeah, I mean, way to ignore reality and to uh, provide a narrative that can be supported by a very narrow set of circumstances and make it uh, make it a story you want to tell. I I think that's a really well uh, done bit of of propaganda. Yeah, I also like the font choice that they made in there. I think that's almost a comic sans. That's that's impressive. It is almost a comic sans. Uh, the, everything about this tweet I respect. Yes. And and the actual tweet reads, in case you missed it, the AL East landscape well, AL East landscape has shifted in the last three and a half weeks. Actually, the, the landscape has not shifted. Um, you're just not as bad as you were before. Uh, speaking about people and uh, things that I do not respect, that is a uh, team south of Baltimore in uh, the team that wears a curly W on their hats and comes from the Washington whoa, whoa, area. Scott, Scott, Scott. If we're gonna do this Nats thing, are you gonna are, are you gonna be negative about the Nationals? Yes, I am. All right, you know what? That's it. I hate to do this. We have never done this on the podcast, Scott. I'm putting you in timeout. What? You're in timeout. <sighs> Sit in the chair, Scott. This Sit in the chair. Turn off the mic. This is unheard of, and I'm going to be filing a formal protest, but I know that formal protest will never be answered again by Major League Baseball. So with that, I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to go... You're just, re- lucky. You're just lucky it's not five segments. Yeah, I'm going to go refresh my beverage, and I'll be back whenever you're done talking about the Nationals. Josh Finver was my college roommate at American University. Well, that's not true. I never actually lived on campus at American University, but but none of that matters. The point is, he's a great portion of the reason that I have such a strong affinity for Washington, D.C., its suburbs, and those crazy people called Washington sports fans. In addition to putting up with me for many years, Josh hosted the National Discourse podcast and currently writes for Red Porch Report for the Ball Hogs Radio Network. Josh Finver, thank you very much for spending some time in Birdland this evening. <laughs> We're actually technically in D.C. this evening, aren't we? Game no, one no, no. On this, on, on this podcast, you're in Birdland <laughs> no matter where you All may right, be. Fair enough. What, which Masson channel are we on? Uh, well, I'm on Masson 2, but I've got it muted. But i got to tell you, even <laughs> muted, it feels better. Yeah. Well, nothing feels good about this game right now, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll power through. Well, you know, we've we've kicked Scott out of the room so that you and I can have a little alone time, Josh. And and you and I always said that we should start a blog together, and yeah. it never materialized. Uh, I think because anything that we wrote would basically turn into point more point, and there would right. be no counterpoint. Right. It'd be a lot of hugging and eating. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Again. And that was really <laughs> awkward enough in the apartment, um, and we didn't really need to take that to the internet. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so putting that stuff there already. So, you know, of all, the, of all the things we could have talked about, music, politics, whatever, uh, there was also baseball. 
and here we are, Josh. This is that unrequited fantasy alive and in person. The DC sports fan, the Baltimore sports fan, here to talk about Nationals Orioles, which is, as Josh alluded to, taking place right now and for the next three games, uh, both in DC and in in Baltimore. It so feels right. It just feels it, right. It does feel right. Let, let's talk about this Nats O's thing because I, I feel like you and I have this discussion pretty much every season, where we try to decide: is this a rivalry or isn't it? Well, it's it's nice that this is the first, this is the one time of year where we can actually talk to each other about our respective teams, and the other actually pays attention to what we're saying. So that's nice. Um, it's I think we've talked about this a little bit. It's not quite a rivalry, but it's not quite insignificant either. Because there is a certain animosity is not really the right word, but there's a, a, a certain uh, distaste that each city has for one another's sports teams. And uh, it's nice that we can actually enjoy this series while both teams are playing quality baseball and have winning records. Um, even though ours is a half a game better than yours, no, no big deal. Because we played half a game less, <laughs> but you know. Same. Same well, well you know, <laughs> skipping the sk- skipping the uh, the fact that you get to pitch to a, a pitcher four times every night. Um, I would like to point out that it, it was interesting because when, when we were both selling <laughs> when we were both selling dwellers, we uh, we we basically you know like the, the games didn't matter, and we thought to ourselves, well, when the when the games matter, and when both teams are good it'll be the real telling point of whether or not this is as a rivalry. But the thing is, is that, so you have this, this thing going on with the Braves where you're, you're trying to assert dominance in this new look, um, nationally East and the Orioles have this thing going where they're still trying to get noticed by the big boys in the AL East. And even though we hate the Red Sox and we hate the Yankees, uh, I'm not sure either. Okay, of those I hate are. the Red Sox and Yankees too. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a universal baseball thing we can all enjoy. But I'm saying it's not a real rivalry because they don't they don't really care about us. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, it doesn't matter to a lot of people, and, and that's and that's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. Right. But it does matter to some people, and I think it does matter to some Nats fans, for the same reason that Ravens fans dislike the Redskins. I, I definitely I definitely agree with that. And there's there's a certain um, thing that gets under our skin when we're discussing that particular topic because we'd think that if anyone would understand the plight that, that DC baseball fans have gone through, um, it would be, you know, Baltimore football fans and who some of them happen to be Orioles fans as well. So there should be a level of understanding there. Um, yeah, go ahead. Anybody who gets rankled over the fact that Paul Tagliabue told Baltimore to build a museum should, should probably be able to understand how Nats fans feel about Peter Angelos, uh, you know, Keep, Not keep, just Peter Angelos, his his good buddy Bud as well, who oh, would sure. instantly remind everyone who would listen to him that DC and Baltimore could not coexist and could not uh, DC could not support a baseball team. But uh, right now, the Nationals are right behind the Cubs in uh, attendance, just a little bit ahead of the Orioles. But collectively, um, you know, we're we're drawing an average uh, between the two teams of about sixty thousand fans uh per game between both stadiums so i'd say it's pretty safe that uh we are actually a you know at least a budding baseball town there's no no danger and and the thing is that any orioles fan idiot orioles fan who says that you know we ceded away our territorial right to dc and and nationals fans should be glad of it should probably remember that i think it was the opposite scenario in 1954 when the st louis browns came to baltimore is that not correct that is correct we uh dc actually had a baseball team before baltimore so that is uh or a, a major league baseball team before baltimore so that's something that i think gets lost in the shuffle a little bit it's a little a little irking well, yeah, we we had the minor league Orioles uh, until right. 1954, and then between 1998 and 2011, we also had the minor league Orioles, which was uh, <laughs> it was a nice well, thing. I mean, we didn't we didn't accidentally get Strauss and uh, and Harper. That was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me just say you brought up a good point about attendance. You you said that you guys are filling your stadium, and and you know, good on you. Uh, Orioles attendance has been better than it has been, you know, in a decade or, or better. And uh, can I just say respectfully, we don't want you. 
<laughs> and I, we feel the same way. Although I think it's, you guys are a little bit harder to get rid of. I think by the gen, as the generations uh, move along, I think you'll see more of an entrenched, you know, DC fan base and less of that uh, that hideous orange and black um, as as we move along. But uh, I believe I think, the term you're looking for is deliciously garish. <laughs> Hey, it's it's a very similar color to the Bengals, but we won't get into that either. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, I mean, I just it, it's it's not even there, there's no there's no reason that the people who were uh, Orioles fans before the Nats arrived in 2005 can't still have that connection with that team. But at the same time, you can't expect um, uh, the, the the people in DC not to form an attachment to a team that's finally theirs. I've gone, I went through my entire, my entire life. I'm 30 years old now. And I, until 2005, I did not have a, a team to root for. So it's nice to finally, finally have a team I can call my own. Sure. Especially being such a deep seated sports fan of DC already. Right. You know, you have exactly. a, a huge uh, and unhealthy uh, Redskins fandom, <laughs> you know, your Caps fan. Do you care about the Wizards? Is that a thing? I do. I care about the Wizards, but I can't, the thing about DC sports is they never cease to destroy you. So, and um, you have a similar experience, except for the fact that you've won two Super Bowls in recent memory. Um, but I mean, I can't, I can't put everything I have into the Wizards or the Capitals, really. To it's, it's just too much of an emotional toll because I put everything I have into the Redskins, everything I have into the Nats, um, and then whatever's left goes to the to the Wizards and, and, and the Caps. It's just I can't I can't take anymore. My my girlfriend would leave me. So <laughs> she should leave you anyway, John. She should probably leave me anyway. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that I love so much about the the O's Nats is is not so much that it's a rivalry that that people care about. Uh, being a, a deep seated Baltimore guy and having spent so much of my formative years in D.C. Um, and spending it amongst people that were that were uh, D.C. sports fans, it kind of became that thing that differentiated me. And I'm sure you don't know, Josh, but some of our listeners have listened to the Baltimoreans talk about their experience moving from northern uh, Virginia to uh, New York and just having their Orioles fandom intensify so that they stayed out of the the devastation and hopelessness that is New York. Um, But so it was something that that, you know, you and I shot back all the time uh, at at the apartment. And it, it was it was funny because it was it was baseball. It was also football. But I think really the low point for us was uh, was the Madden trash situation. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was a low point. I think that was a high point for uh, creativity on the assignment of chores in the college environment. I'd say yeah, that's so. Like you know, like <laughs> phrasing, a lot of phrasing, phrasing. A lot of dudes of that age, you know, we we like to avoid the uh, the cleaning. So uh, why don't you just walk us through how we uh, how we how we split that up? Um, I believe we would, you know, do what we could to amass a sort of Mount Everest of dishes um, in in the kitchen. And uh, obviously, at that point, no one wants to climb that mountain. And the only fair way to determine who has to go up there without a Sherpa is uh, to play <laughs> Madden. And I feel like there was a pretty good even distribution of, of dishwashing. Well, the the best part though was was that after after we got pretty evenly matched playing one another, we would then just set it up to play itself, or or Ravens and Redskins, and sit and watch it, and then the loser would have to go climb that mountain in (laughs) sadness while the other guy laughed and drank. (laughs) Right. Well, there was there was mostly drinking throughout, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like this this is really the crux of what I think the Orioles and the Nationals can be because being right on top of one another, you and I are not the only, the only people that have this, this divided allegiance. Right. And, uh, you know, there, there are probably countless others, you know, friends, neighbors, relatives, and, uh, they're, they're divided, you know, by Jersey colors, um, but very little else. And, uh, the rivalry turns into something, um, that baseball really should be at the heart of. And that is one of the devices that we use to connect to other people. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell me that that baseball isn't beautiful because it gives me every opportunity uh, to tease you endlessly <laughs> about your Walgreens wearing baseball All team. All right. 
that can't even get. I would love to say that we had the logo first, but that is, I actually had to do some research. However, uh, um, our logo is slightly different and much sexier than the Walgreens logo. So we've got that Slightly different. Too. It must be that much. <laughs> slightly cooler. different and much sexier. Much ah. sexier. Right. I'll, I'll make the appropriate notes. And also, to be fair, the Senators had, uh, had that, that, uh, same design. So there's, there's history there. Yeah, um, there, you're I right. Like there, are, there is there, a lot of history there for the history Rangers. History of Go ripping ahead. off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we still have that World Series pennant. I mean, <laughs> All right. Well, if anybody's if anybody's still listening, they're probably wondering what the hell is going on this this week. The Orioles are playing two games at uh, DC and two games at uh, Camden Yards against the Nationals. It's that split home and home thing with the four game series. I think that's a pretty decent solution to to keep the quote unquote natural rival going through interleague, don't you? Um, I do. I would prefer they have these games on weekends, um, for obvious reasons. But um, I don't know. I think that they could do. I could think they could easily just do the three and three. Um, have the Monday through Wednesday, and then have either the day off Thursday or whatever, and then go Friday through Sunday. Um, but this this will do just fine, I guess. It's just it, it's whatever they have to do to make sure that we play each other every year, because yeah. that is uh, that is something that has to happen. Well, um, I'm going to ask you, what do you think is going to happen with the four game set? I don't know. I think I think I would be happy with a split. I would I would take a split. Uh, both teams have been playing pretty well coming into the series, even though they they have been beating up on. Uh, uh, the I don't know what's what's a politically correct way of saying <laughs> the, the crappy teams. The yeah, crappy let's teams. Say, let's go with dregs. Dregs. Yes. Okay. Um. <laughs> so you guys just beat up on the Red Sox this past weekend. Well, you yeah, took took two out of three, right? We took two out of three from the Cubs. Um. Can't win them all, but you can win the series. Um. I don't know. I think I think it should be. It'll probably end up being a split, but I'll be happy with uh if we can take a three three out of four. I don't expect either team to sweep this series. I think no, both pretty evenly matched. I, I think you're you're probably right, and it's funny, you know, they bo- they both used to be terrible, and uh, you went into this series thinking, oh god, I just want to split. It's another bad team. We've actually yeah. got a chance here, right. and now we go into it thinking, well, they're they're a pretty good club. Hopefully, we can get a split out of it. Um, I, I think it, if if you want to see Orioles season in just like a, a microcosm, Josh, watch us win the games that your your best starters, and they're all good jerk. Um, <laughs> But your best starters pitch. So Strasburg tonight, and is it uh, Gio Gonzalez on Wednesday? Uh, it's Stras tonight. It's Fister tomorrow. It's Roark on Wednesday, who's been phenomenal for the most part yeah. this season. And a great surprise. Came out of nowhere at the end of last year. Um, and then it goes Gio on uh, on Thursday. I would I would be willing to bet that the Orioles win the games that your your starters have the strongest uh, pitching performance, and then we manage to blow it uncontrollably in the other two games. It's it's fully possible. The Nats have a way of of doing that uh, as well. I mean, the, I, I was telling you earlier off air that four is a magic number for this team. Um, if they um, if the Nats score four runs. They basically win every time. I think the, the last time I checked the stat, it was something like thirty and um, like thirty and four or something like that when they score four runs. So it's what, when you get these pitchers a lead, they really have and they have a way of uh, just putting the game away. And the bullpen is the best in baseball um, as well. I mean, I, I don't think there's a rotation that's better. There might be, you know, LA has a great rotation, and now the A's are bringing everybody everybody in and they obviously have a good rotation too, but uh, I don't know that any of them are better than what the nationals are featuring once in five. When, when you watch the Orioles every night, uh, we can certainly call the nationals rotation an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> it is. It's a treat. I, I have to say when they, when they brought in Doug Fister in the off season, um, my pants got tighter. That's all I can really say. I don't really have a better way of putting it's, it. That's not all you can say, but that's all you are going to say uh, at this point. Uh, the other thing that, that it's interesting that you said the four run thing, because we, we had some of that going on with our offense and it was a stat that got thrown around all the time. And I got to wondering, like, isn't that true of every major league club? Like doesn't every major league team it's have got, a pretty I mean, good shot with games. four runs? Yeah, I mean probably, but I feel like in the American League you get a lot more like the eight to six, uh, you know, nine to four games, and then you do in the the National League. But maybe that's just my imagination. 
Yeah, um, I think that used to be the case, but I think pitching is really dominating in a big way lately. That's uh, true. Pitching is has been getting been getting better um, in as a whole in, in baseball. But uh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, lost my train of thought. You go ahead. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Josh, we're we're probably going to come to a close here. And what I want to do is first thank you for joining us. Uh, I love the the uh, perspective of a Washington baseball fan. Uh, something that I. I would have laughed to think possible when I met you and um, uh, also say that I hope your team loses all the rest of its games. Uh, if for no other reason, Wait, we, to see we the, had an agreement. We had an agreement. See the we look can... on your face as it happens, because there is nothing more delicious than watching you, my friend have to sit through terrible baseball. Oh man. Uh, what a treat. I thought we had an agreement though, that we could root for each other's teams up until game seven of the world series. And then, yeah, no. I, I probably no. said that at one no. point, and and, yeah. and I may have even meant it, but uh, <laughs> that time is over. All right. Oh, well, that's fine. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Josh Finver, you write for, as I as I mentioned, Red Porch Report uh, for the Ball Hogs Radio Network. Um, what can we what can we find from you? Is there anything you should be pimping right now? Uh, just keep an eye on the Ball Hogs Radio Network stuff. Uh, I do the Red Red Porch Report uh, stuff. I also do the Hail Republic for the Redskins stuff, but that's uh, a few months away before that's really anything uh, to keep an eye on. And uh, always follow me at, at Nat Discourse on the tweeters. So, I, I tell yeah. you what, buddy, you were the only Nationals uh, Twitter account that our our page follows, and uh, <laughs> that says all you need to know right there. Well, there you go. All right, I thanks hope, for doing this. Worth it. My pleasure. All right, talk to you next year. <laughs> <laughs> Sexiest potpourri ever for 200. Gonna love it. That's right, baby. Let's turn the lights low and let's mix business with pleasure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That was a lot more to love. Oh, yeah. Jake, uh, it's gonna be a hodgepodge week um, of uh, baseball activity. A good week, Orioles went six and one, but there really wasn't one topic that really stood out to us. There was a uh, a potpourri, so we decided to do a sexiest potpourri category here. Jake, what's the first topic you wanted to start with this week? All right, let's talk about all-star voting. Uh, the Orioles had a major league leading three starters voted into the all-star game in Jones, Cruz, and the guy who can't move his right arm, Matt Wieters. Um, and, and yes, the all-star game is meaningless and stupid, or at least it should be, and... Uh, all that is, is fine, but I think it's really cool that Jones made a, a huge comeback from being just a crap ton of votes down and and being a, a starter on the All-Star team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually a really big deal. Um, you know, like we've talked about before, the All-Star, vote, the All-Star game is completely ridiculous, and the All-Star vote is a popularity contest, and the uh, Baltimore fans definitely stuffed the ballots, but a part of me thinks that's a big deal in terms of the players and also potentially free agents. You know, there are going to be bonuses worked into certain contracts for all-star votes. Um, the fact that, you know, Adam Jones is going to go out there and maybe shouldn't have been an all-star, but is was a borderline cringe candidate, that's a big deal for him, both in terms of, you know, publicity, but also contract and, you know, endorsements and all that stuff. So good for Adam Jones, but again, great job by the Baltimore fans to um, get your players into the all-star game. Maybe one day Nick Marcakis will get into the All-Star game. I don't know. I think this was his best chance. I think this is pretty much the last chance that he had, but you never know. He might get hot one year and um, have like a Steve Pierce uh, outing. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I think it's important to, you know, get some of that hometown, you know, credit. You know, Cakes has been really happy with uh, how well the fans have treated him here that he's said in terms of his contract negotiations when, it, when they were to come up next year. So he said, you know, I would definitely be willing to give a hometown discount. You look at Jones' contract, too, they signed in 2012, and he's been paid $27.65 million by the Orioles. But if you look at Adam Jones' war, and you basically break that out on how much he would be worth on the open market, he'd actually be worth close to $60 million based on his contract. And that's the kind of, you know, Deals that you know small market teams like the Orioles need to make. That's similar to like what Tampa Bay did with Evan Longoria, and basically signing a you know a lower contract but getting substantial value from a lower contract. That's the kind of thing that teams like oh I don't know the Yankees don't do. 
All right, you, you, you turn this into numbers, and I would never uh, factor out what the war says we should be paying this guys, uh, these guys. But what I do want to talk about is the all-star voting. I think it's great that uh, the Jones got in. Uh, Cruz was a lock. Uh, voters are dumb, and so Weeders, you know, had just ran away with the lead for AL catchers. But I thought Jones was the story. Um, you know, and it, it'll be interesting once the uh, the final vote-in happens and uh, different players, uh, you know, either get injured or choose not to appear in the games. Uh, I wonder if anybody else would be selected in, in either an emergency or a backup capacity. I don't see it happening. Um, I think we're pretty much set on who we're going to get into the All-Star game at this time. Um, there is one individual I want to talk about, though, that it has having a pseudo All-Star-like performance, and that's Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce right hey, now. Hey, I wrote him in. I wrote him in on all 35 ballots. Yeah, Steve Pierce is fifth right now in weighted runs created plus on the season in Major League Baseball. He has a 2.4 war with only 183 plate appearances. And just, Jake, to put that in perspective, he has a WOBA and a slugging comparable to Mike Trout. And if he had played the entire season to this point, we'd be talking about him as a potential MVP candidate because he's got numbers very similar to, you know, a Troy Tolowitzki or a Mike Trout. He's got a better weighted on-base Yeah, average. yeah, well, that's that's... Wait, That's easy to say, but you're not going to assume that he's going to do all that throughout those plate appearances if he had gotten the extra time, are you? No, I can't assume that because, again, I'm going to come to another individual that actually was selected for the All-Star game, and that's Devin Messerocco. He was named to the All-Star team as the catcher for the National League. And in my opinion, that's an individual who I say, who? And he's basically played in a very similar amount of plate appearances, but has done just as well as Steve Pierce, actually slightly better. He's second in Major League Baseball right now in terms of weighted runs created plus. But I think we need to see how these players do over the entire course of the season before we anoint them as the greatest ever. Well, I mean, not to not to go into hyperbole. That's that's the thing I think it's important to avoid. But having said all that and doing our best to seem reasonable, I mean, can we just talk about how awesome Steve Pierce is? Because, sure. uh, you know, he has been such a highlight of this season while other guys have fallen down on the job, most notably Chris Davis and the periods in which Nelson Cruz and Adam Jones uh, cooled off. You know, Steve Pierce has been such a shot in the arm to this team. Sure. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Pierce, ever since going into the number two hole, um, the Orioles have been 12 and eight over that period. So they've had a 600 winning percentage. Um, and we would take that any given month. Um, the other thing too, I think is interesting is, he has the second most amount of pitches per plate appearance on the team. Now, Jake, I'm going to let you guess. Who do you think is the number one player that has the most amount of pitches per plate appearance? Uh, I'm going to say either Nick Marcakis or Adam Jones. Okay. You're wrong on those two. Guess, get, give me one more guess. Um, I clearly have no idea. Um, no. Tell me who. The person that has the number one um, pitches per plate appearance on this team right now, Chris Davis. Really? Yeah, actually, Chris Davis. Well, I guess is, I guess when you watch so many go by for strike three, it's it's easy uh, to total them that, up. That's not fair, exactly, because again, actually, Chris Davis's walk percentage this year is that better than it has ever been in his career, and his strike percentage is exactly the same, pretty much as it has been for every single other year. But again, okay. this is not the Chris Davis podcast. We're going to keep going through other topics. All right, well, let me let me move on to the next topic okay. because this is one I want to talk about, and I think you and I will have a great disagreement about it. But I'm getting tired of hearing the TJ McFarland hate. And so I really want to talk about the case for and against TJ McFarland. And before I start here, I just want to be clear that I'm not saying that TJ McFarland is the best pitcher we've got. I'm not saying that TJ McFarland is even an above average pitcher. What I'm saying is that I think that TJ McFarland has been maligned as a terrible pitcher. And I do not think that reality supports that. And so, I mean, let's talk about it. TJ McFarland was a fringe major league player who became a Rule 5 draft uh, pick by the Orioles. They kept him on the roster all year so that they could keep him in the organization. Now, TJ McFarland has given up the same number of earned runs as Ryan Webb has this season in comparable number of innings pitched. And I know that earned runs is not the the go-to stat for whether or not you're a good pitcher. But from the idiot fan like me, who looks at the game and says, oh my God, TJ McFarland is coming in. I don't understand then why they don't have that same reaction when it's Ryan Webb. Now, it could be situational that Ryan Webb is not giving up runs when it matters, what, what have you. But if you start to look at some of TJ McFarland's stats, they're not that awful. 
His ERA right now is at uh, 3.55. His FIP is 3.75. His XFIP is 4.01. And yeah, a, a plus four ERA is not phenomenal, but for a middling reliever that obviously can't be a starter because his stuff doesn't play that well in the majors, a four ERA is not an awful pitcher. But when you start looking at some of his other stats, it tells an, an even more interesting pic, uh, pic, picture because his left on base percentage is 79.3, which is significantly better than league average. His ground ball percentage is at 57.7, which is again, better than league average. Now, he's also got stats that aren't the best in the world, and I'm not trying to say that he is, but I think that TJ McFarlane is being needlessly maligned, and I'm saying that I do think that he has a role in this bullpen, and I think that he's a he's a useful tool back there as being one of the top seven in, at the major league level. Scotty, what do you have? There's a few things I have about this. One of the things why it would, I think we can distinguish Ryan Webb and uh, TJ McFarlane from not just out of the stats is the situations that he's used in. Ryan Webb has been used in a lot more high-leverage situations where T.J. McFarlane really hasn't been put into high-leverage situations. Prior to the game this weekend, um, T.J. McFarlane had only pitched in three games and three innings pitched in high-leverage situations. And then he comes in on Saturday and blows the game. Now, I'm not going to blame him on that game. There's no way in the world that's his fault. He had a lot of you know blue pits, and you know that play by Joseph um, with the bunt was just a poor, poor performance. So I can't blame T.J. McFarlane completely for that game. However, he doesn't have, um, you know, that that moment of up. Oh, we, you know, figured it out, and you know, we. It's just, I don't know. He's not Ryan Webb in terms of coming in the eighth inning and shutting shutting the door or getting it to the ninth inning. He's kind of just up. Oh, we need two innings of mop up duty, or we need two innings to try to get to our good players. Let's hope T.J. McFarlane can get or, there, or a spot, or a spot start, or a spot start. Exactly. It's just. Like I said, it's not it's not he's not a sexy player. He's spam like I we've talked about before. He's just he's just a pitcher, but he's not a sexy pitcher. All right. So, are the, we in agreement that though he's not the best, he he certainly should not be derided as the worst? No, he shouldn't be derided as worth as the worst. In fact, um the interesting point that you brought up is his splits as well versus righties and lefties. I think that's really interesting too considering that he's a left-handed hitter, a uh, left-handed pitcher. We need to be giving consideration that possibly TJ McFarlane could be taking Brian Mattis's spot in the bullpen more efficiently as uh, a left-handed specialist as well going forward. Brian Mattis is pretty much absolutely atrocious against right-handers. So if you're looking for a reliever to go multiple innings or even just through the through the lineup one time, um, Brian Mattis is not going to be your individual. It's going to be TJ McFarland. All right. Well, thanks for letting me get that off my chest because it's been eating at me. Uh, speaking of things that people got off their chest this week, I want to talk about John Lackey and his comments that he made on Nelson Cruz. Now, originally, this was going to be my ugly for the week, um, but I just want to talk about it in a little bit more expanded setting because I, I think it's hysterical that John Lackey, after losing a ball game, after pitching in which the Orioles beat him up, he talked about Nelson Cruz in, in, in such a low way. And, and I say low because it was low road. 100%. He, he said, oh, I have nothing to say about Nelson Cruz. It's, it's pretty convenient how you guys in the media forget about things. And I wrote a post on, on birdseyeviewbaltimore.com about this, but it's ridiculous, A, that you sound remarkably butthurt when you just got beat by a club to say, well, that player's on steroids or that player ha- has used performance enhancing dr- drugs in the past. But it's even worse when you say when your club does not have a sparkling record with peds so that turned into a thing you know the media you know grappled onto that but i think it really backfired more than he was prepared for uh buck's response was hysterical when he talked about people that that said that uh things like that should really check their own backyard first and of course everyone knows that he was referring to david ortiz um but i thought cruz's comments were even better and he said, you know what? People are going to talk, and there's nothing I can do about that. All I can do is focus on the baseball. All I care about is what my teammates think. And, uh, and I thought, wow, you know, the, uh, the, the cheater is the one acting classy in this situation. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? And I'm not a big lackey fan to begin with. I don't know about you, Scott. Uh, but there was a tweet out there this week. It was from a parody account. But the tweet said, John Lackey left his wife when she was battling. Only breast cancer, but you don't see Nelson Cruz getting pissy about that. 
And uh, and I think that says it all. If you're a bad dude, don't open your mouth and start casting aspersions. Scott, what do you think? Um, let me think. All right, my uh, I have no comment on this matter. I think it's convenient how people forget about the situation. I'm going to go with the John Lackey response there and move on. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you want to move on, Scott. Let's let's do something a little more fun. I uh, I think that we should uh, talk about who for who conveniently forgot to uh, to perform this week. Oh God. about that it's music we haven't heard in so long scott a broken clock is right twice a day i won fantasy boss this week huzzah (laughs) huzzah indeed and uh you know we went with a a a more standard stat than we've we've done in the last couple weeks and you went with babip uh your old personal favorite and uh how did that work out for you this week i picked delman young which always ends up poorly yeah, Delman Young, as as is his way, is a gigantic mistake. I mean, it was a gigantic mistake for you this week. Uh, I, I picked Nick Markakis, and he wasn't great. Uh, Markakis was 250. Babip, Delman Young was 143. Neither guy was really spectacular. Um, but I win, I win, I win. Uh, that pulls us to 8-4-2, and two, so your commanding lead is still commanding, and I'm still sad, but I get to feel good this week. And so this week, uh, again, we're going to go on the more simple side, and we're going to go with um, OBP this week. No, we're not going to go with clever uh, apparel. We're going to go with on-base percentage. But I do want to caution you, Scott, before you make your selection. Uh, I'm just going to walk you through the last seven days' worth of OBP. You might think that names like Jones, Cruz, Pierce might be atop the leaderboard and, and they're up there, but the top two guys for OBP this last seven days, this last seven games, was David Lowe and Ryan Flaherty. So tread tread thee lightly on the OBP. Scott, who's your pick? Uh, I'm going with Steve Pierce. Ah, uh, Steve Pierce. It is a, a brave choice, sir. It's a brave choice. Uh, I myself am going to go with Adam Jones. All right. So I picked Steve Pierce. You have picked Adam Jones for OBP. Who will own it? And Jake, with that, let's go through our past week. Let's go through the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here we review the week and let you know who had a great week, who had a not-so-great week, and who, well, who's on notice. Uh, The way we usually do this is I go first so that Scott can take his ugly last. His rants uh, are far superior to my own. So my good for this week was Miguel uh, Gonzalez. Miguel Tejada would be an an interesting good. Uh, Miguel Gonzalez, who we have much maligned on this program, had a great start. In uh, in a single game started, he had eight innings pitched. He gave up two runs, only one of which was earned. He walked two guys, and he struck out six. Um, for a guy who's trying to stay in the rotation while Kevin Gosman goes up and down, this was the kind of start he needed, and it was the kind of start the Orioles needed. Yeah, um, I really can't argue with that. Definitely a good for this week. Um Kudos for Melko Gonzalez, especially with his job on the line, in my opinion, for that game. Um, it's a shame that, um, you know, it didn't work out so well for him, the final result. Sure. All right, who's your good for the week? My good for the week is going to go to Jim Palmer, who was absolutely spot on this pot, uh, past week on Masson. 
um, his comments regarding Kevin Gossman and just some of his uh, color commentary with Jim Hunter um, made me thoroughly enjoy that broadcast, those broadcasts so much. Even though Gary Thorne was in the booth, I love this week of Masson. Jim Palmer, you are good. You are amazing. Keep up the good work. All right. My bad for this week is Kevin Gossman. Uh, what? Yeah, I'm going to roll up the newspaper. All right. Bad. Bad, Kevin Gossman. You're going back to Aberdeen. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you pitch. You're bad. You're going back to the minors, Kevin Gosman. Bad. First, that, that's all I can. That's all I can figure that the uh, Orioles organization is doing. I, uh, I have, I have nothing else other than that. I was about to say. I guess you had uh, finally accepted that job in the Orioles organization. So congratulations. <sighs> it is very, it, it's very frustrating this whole situation with the Kevin Gosman. Um, you know, there was an excellent article on Baltimore Sports Life, and it was actually reposted by Utah Street Report. Um, going through if uh, Kevin Gosman were sent down on Thursday at the end of Thursday's game. Um, and they kept him out um, after the until after the All Star break, until um, his next start would be. Um, he would actually get an extra year of arbitration on top of whatever we have. So I think it basically said he wouldn't have to resign in 2019. He'd have to resign in 2020. Um, so now with his call down uh, or sent down of optioning today, he's going to not be an arbitration candidate until 2020. But still, it's interesting that the Orioles are continuing to limit him in terms of you know whatever excuse it is, whether it's a bullpen or innings pitched or whatever it may be. Um, it's it's definitely a, a frustrating situation for Baltimore Orioles fans. But you know what, though? For once, I don't think they're trying to play the uh, the clock game. I think it's just mismanagement. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised of it being, it, it wouldn't be clock management. Like I said, that is a lot of money that it's eventually going to turn out to be. So I just don't, I don't know. I, like I said, it's, it seems like the deck is stacked against Kevin Gossman at this time. All right. So who's your bad for this week? My bad for this week is international signings. The international signings opened up this past week. Um, and the Orioles only have signed one player so far, and that's Miguel Gonzalez. And that's not the Miguel Gonzalez that we're familiar with. It's Miguel Gonzalez, who is an 18-year-old right-handed pitcher out of the Dominican Republic. Here's the issue I have with it. He's not in the top 30 on Baseball America's international draft prospects. Out of the 30, the American League East has signed 14 of them, and the Yankees have signed eight of them. They spent over $14 million on international prospects. But Wait a minute, the, the Yankees spent a lot of money? Well, this is interesting, too. They spent $14 million, but they were capped at only being able to spend $2.2 million. So the Yankees are going to take a penalty. And what happens when this happens is that the Yankees have to pay 100% tax on whatever they have in overage on. So that's $12 million that they have in overage on, which means that they're going to pay an additional $12 million worth of taxes, and the Yankees cannot sign anybody for the next two years for more than $300,000, which is interesting from the situation of the Yankees basically have bought all in on this international signing period. And the question is, do the Yankees know something that the rest of Major League Baseball doesn't? There's been an international draft rumored for several years now. The talk has always been of pushing it back to 2016 when the next CBA is discussed. Do the Yankees know something that the rest of Major League Baseball doesn't know? I, I Whatever. I, I think the real question is, are the Orioles missing out or are the Orioles not getting into a market where there's not a lot of return for them? Okay, that's a great question. That's, that's that, the question to me. That's a great question. So the Orioles had $2.25 million to play with and haven't touched anyone besides um, pseudo Miguel Gonzalez for $400,000. So they have $1.8 million left in trade value. Now, the other thing I'll point out is when the Orioles made the trade for Bud Norris last year, um, they traded away Hader and um, LJ Hose, and they got Bud Norris back, but they also got draft, pay, or they got a compensation in the international draft bonus signings. So they got, I think it was like three hundred dollars or $400,000 to add on top of their, their 2.25. So the Orioles would actually have been much lower than this, but because they had some additional money, they basically threw it into this pool. But in terms of spending by the Orioles, the Orioles have been dead last in Major League Baseball in terms of international signings. In 2010, they only spent $1.18 million. 2011, they only spent a $1 million. 2012, they only spent $1.1 million. And in 2013, they only spent $1.23 million. Their highest person that they got last year in 2013 was someone for $325,000, and his name was Ofelki Peralta. 
Oh, okay. So uh, I'm I'm trying to follow you, but you, I'm not doing a great job of it. And maybe it's the rum and cokes. But are you saying that the Orioles are bad because they've failed to pounce on international signings? Is that what the bad is? That is my bad is the Orioles have not taken advantage of international signings. And I think the whole international signings thing is a crock in itself. You're basically rewarding teams that can basically go above their bonus pool and basically say, I don't really care. I'm going to pay the penalty. And that's one bad thing. But the really bad thing is the Orioles consistently have not gone into international drafting. And I think it's a piss poor performance on their part, especially when you look at the American League East, who is constantly um, looking to upgrade through this international draft pool, including other teams that are very much more sabermetrically inclined, such as the Houston Astros as well. All right, so they're on notice. I I, I think that's what I've uh, I've garnered there. They're on can, notice. Can I go to Can I go to my ugly? Yes, go to your ugly. All right, my ugly for this week is the Boston Red Sox pace of game. Now there was a five hour marathon game on Sunday, and I realized that it went into extra innings. But Sunday's game was way longer than three hours before it went to extras. That team stops time to play baseball. It's against the laws of nature. And it keeps me from being able to go out to dinner after the game. Boston Red Sox pace of game, you are on notice. That was a horrible, horrible, horrible game. I'm gonna st- hang on. I'm gonna stop you there, Scott. I'm just gonna step away from the mic and I'm gonna adjust my headphones, and then I'm gonna spit into my hand. And uh, I'm gonna actually, you know what? I'm just gonna go back and I'm gonna I'm gonna grab my glass and I'm gonna set it right down there. Okay, go ahead. Oh, oh, okay. I, I I see what you're doing there. That, that's 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 clever and creative. Um, my ugly for the week is going to go to Chris Davis. Uh and I know what everyone's thinking. You're going to criticize Chris Davis for everything he's doing. No, my ugly right now is the Chris Davis hate that is perforating through Birdland. You know, Chris Davis has having a terrible stretch right now. There's no doubt about that. But to say that, up, oh, we shouldn't have Chris Davis on the team anymore. We should trade him. We should release him. We should designate him for an assignment. This is absolutely ridiculous, Baltimore. You cannot go crazy and have Chris Davis shirts and Chris Davis jerseys and be like, oh, Chris Davis is great. And then he goes through a two-month period of you know some pretty bad baseball and say, oh, this guy's a bum. He's horrible. We need to get rid of him. He doesn't know how to hit anymore. It's absolutely ridiculous. Baltimore fans, get it together. Stay loyal to your guys. Chris Davis is going to improve. I can tell you right now, looking at his numbers, he's going to improve with a pop in the second half. Haters be haters. True fans keep rooting on their players. Baltimore fans, you're on notice. I, I just want to stop for a moment and point out that you, the Sabermetrics, the numbers guy, just ended with haters be haters. Haters be haters. West Side <laughs> represent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, well, the the Orioles fans on notice as they be. All right, Jake, well, I think with that, it's time to uh, blow the save. So, Jake, how are you blowing the save this week? Well, you know, Scott, you're making the vacation thing sound like such a great idea. Now, you're you're at the beach. You're at uh, you're in the Delaware Beach, is correct? That is correct. You, you made it sound so appealing. I think next week, I'm going to go on vacation. Uh, down to Ocean Pines, and uh, what do you say we do this whole uh, remote podcast thing again? Uh, that sounds actually pretty awful based on how much this has been a difficult time of uh, getting everything set up, but I guess we have no choice, so uh, we'll go ahead and well, do that. I, I blame I blame you, and then I blame technology, because it's certainly not me. I am as on point as ever. So we are going to be... I'm really- as constant as the morning star. So you'll be on vacation. We'll be doing an episode um, next week off-site, but then you'll be back in time for the lovely annual second annual bevies is that correct that is correct during the all-star break i think we're gonna i think we're gonna release it on the 17th which is the last day of the all-star break it's that thursday you'll get the 2014 bevy awards in all of its splendor don't miss it it's gonna be uh it's gonna be awesome uh let's just say that um your earbuds will be tickled that that almost sounds like a threat uh, it, it is a threat, but uh, your earbuds, earbuds will be tickled. So, um, like, like we talked about in the podcast, great week for the Baltimore Orioles. We're going to see what happens this week. Two-game lead in the American League East. Let's keep it up, Baltimore. Let's keep it up, Orioles fans. We're no longer treading water. We're moving ahead. So, with that, Jake, why don't you give Baltimore it Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Oh.